Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. So uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Joy. Um, and uh, I'm excited to go through this series that we are on because I think happiness is something we all want. Yes? Yeah, it is something we all want. And this quest for happiness is really behind a lot of the choices we make, what we're searching for, whether we're maybe looking for happiness or joy or quiet or adventure or whatever, like, makes you feel happy. I mean, my, I love quiet, but it becomes a problem when what makes my family happy is just noise, right? So we, we all want to be happy, but sometimes our happiness comes in conflict with what other people think makes them happy. So it really drives, it drives our choices, it shapes what we expect from our relationships and our work, our hobbies, and our family. And in case you haven't figured it out yet, our happiness can't be completely found in a person or a place or a thing. Everything will let us down from some point. And no matter how fulfilling your job is, you'll be disappointed at work. No matter how much you love your family, they will let you down sometimes. And so when we put our happiness into people and things in this temporary world, we will feel unhappy sometimes and make maybe wonder, maybe maybe more of this thing or less of this thing or a different, maybe a different job or a different family. You know, we might think, be tempted to look in other places uh, for that, that good feeling that we're searching for. And really, this quest for happiness can lead us to all kinds of destructive behaviors. It can lead us to addiction because that good feeling becomes the search uh, that, we, that we crave, that thing that we want. And this one search, this search for happiness is what fuels every advertisement. You know, they say, this, this thing, whatever the thing is, this thing is going to be the next thing that makes you happy. And it's this promise that is <laughs> it's not very uh, honest, too, because I'm sure, like me, you have something that you wanted, that you craved, that you spent money on because you saw an ad and now it's in a drawer and you see it and you're like, that doesn't make me happy anymore. I forgot about it. I don't use it or it doesn't, it doesn't bring me that same feeling anymore. I'm sure we can all relate. But happiness, it can be so temporary. So where do we find happiness and what is the secret to keeping it? You know, this is the question that researchers and philosophers and sociologists, they're all studying. And here we find some answers in the Bible. And, uh, you know, we might look for short-term satisfaction in things, but that can lead us to really destructive decisions. Because when our short-term satisfaction leads us to something that has less value, like you think a short-term decision to profit at the expense of what is fair or just you know, that might maybe lead to a temporary happiness, but not a long-term. And so last week, Monica introduced us to this book that we are looking at all, all this month, this book of the Bible 
Philippians, and she gave some of the backstory, some of the context of the book, because Philippians is known as Paul's happiest book. Now, as Monica said last week, somehow Paul's suffering plus prison plus outrageous treatment plus more suffering and being imprisoned again somehow equaled joy for Paul. So he learned some stuff. Uh, in, his dis- or in his life, he found some keys to happiness that we can uncover in this book of Philippians. Now, one thing we know, it wasn't just Paul's personality. He wasn't just like a happy, cheerful, glass half full, optimistic, you know, natural, cheerful personality. Because if you're not familiar with Paul, who was the author of Philippians, Paul had an intense personality. And we are introduced to Paul He's um, actually a murderer and seeking out Christians with the goal of annihilating Christianity. He had an intense passion to wipe out every Christian that he met. He was hunting them and getting them killed. So he had this intensity about his personality. He was also highly educated. He was a diligent man. But he perceived the message of Christ as a threat, and so that fueled his passion. And then he encountered Jesus, and we see this radical transformation in his his mission. And his purpose then became uh, pursuing the advancement of the message of Christ because he encountered Jesus. Now, I just love Paul's encounter with Jesus because he's on his way to go find more Christians to get them killed, and Jesus shows up in his way and says, why are you persecuting me? Now, I just want to, like, this always stands out to me because Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me when he was persecuting his church, when he was persecuting his followers? So why was he persecuting Jesus? And so then he became an intense missionary and a church planter on a mission to see Jesus' message, his good news, his gospel spread to as much of the world as he could get to. He became this church planter, and he was a tent maker along the way. So we kind of don't get this idea of Paul that he was just like lazy. Like he was a hard worker, maybe a workaholic, who knows? Like he had a drive to him. But happiness, I don't know if it was a natural thing for Paul. I think it was something he learned and something he shares with us. And so last week we looked at all of Philippians 1. Today we're going to look at Philippians 2. Philippians is a four-chapter book, so it's a really short read, but it's so jam-packed with some keys to happiness that I think we can all learn from. So before we start to read the scriptures, I want to pray Pray that God opens our eyes and our hearts and that we see him. So, Father, I thank you, God, that you are here, God, that your presence is here, and that you want to reveal yourself. You want to reveal your truth to us today. Would you open our heart, open our eyes? Would you teach us? Would you train us? Would you correct us with your words today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Philippians 2, we're going to jump right in. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have uh, on our app, you actually can follow along with the message notes, and they will have the verses on the screen so that we can follow along together. 
So Philippians 1. This starts out with some perks about being a Christian. So if you ever wonder, what do I get out of this? This is, what, this is some of the stuff we get out of following Christ. So Paul says, If you find any comfort from being in the anointed, if his love brings you some encouragement, if you experience true companionship with the Spirit, if his tenderness and mercy fill your heart, then brothers and sisters, here is one thing that would complete my joy. Come together as one in mind and spirit and purpose, sharing in the same love. Come together in one mind, spirit, and purpose. This is not emphasizing the things that make us different. There's a lot of things that make us different. But there are a lot of things that we share in, in common. Our shared beliefs, our shared values. You know, this is our goal. And then Paul goes on to tell us how. So the goal is that we are one in spirit and in purpose. And what was the other thing? Purpose and I lost it. Mind, spirit, and purpose, sharing in the same love. Yes. So don't let selfishness and prideful agendas take over. That's when our own happiness is what matters most. Embrace true humility and lift your heads to extend love to others. Get beyond yourself and protecting your own interest. Be sincere and secure your neighbor's interests first. You know, this, these four verses, I think we find a very important key to happiness. And that is that happiness is not an individual sport. It's not something that we can achieve on our own. We find happiness in being united together, being of one mind and spirit and purpose in God's family. I love it in another translation. It says, walk together in one harmonious purpose. And in music, harmony is the different, note, the different notes, the different instruments, it working together, the combination to make something sounds beautiful. Harmony is not about competing or trying to emphasize our own part, but to blend our parts together. And in a world that is saying, just sing your solo, find your happiness, do whatever you want. God has invited us to be part of his symphony where harmony, where we can't find our happiness alone. It takes teamwork and coordination and community effort and love. It takes a great amount of effort to be in harmony with each other. But we are one in Christ. I think true happiness is found when we are emphasizing we rather than I. And I think this is a longing our world has, a longing many of us have, a craving for community. But it is not something that is quickly found. It is built with years. It is built with, with tears and hardship. It is built through going through hard stuff. And, you know, we want to have a church that is inclusive and welcomes people. And you find friendships here. But building friendships takes time. And there are a lot of people in this room that we have built solid connections. We have gone through hard stuff together. And we have that faithful, loyal friendship where we are gathered together. And that community, if you feel that longing for community, don't be a spectator. 
But also don't expect it to come quick because anything of lasting value takes time, it takes effort, and it takes an intentionality to build. I heard it said, we accept Christ alone. This is a decision every person must individually make. But the road to faith is rarely traveled alone. Alone people give up. Alone people get discouraged. Alone we're deceived. We need each other to walk the faith journey together. So we, how do we do this? We focus on who we have in common. And we find that happiness in being united together in Christ. So Paul goes on to say, verse 5, In other words, adopt the mindset of Jesus the anointed. Live with his attitude in your hearts. You know, this is a key point, is we are unified surrounding the gospel. This is not just a club of happy people. We are faithful to the gospel. We're letting his mindset be our motivation. That Jesus' example is actually what makes those first four verses. His humility, his service, his love leads to unity. And this is our purpose of our gathering, is Jesus. And so these next six verses, Paul really outlines who is Jesus it's actually known as, um, as a hymn in the early church. And we don't know if Paul wrote it or if he's quoting some other hymn. Um, but these are some great passages explaining what we believe about Christ. And it's not just so that we can admire him and be in awe of him, although he deserves our awe and our worship and our admiration. But this is lifting up Christ as the one that we imitate. He is our ultimate example. So Paul says, uh, verse 6, Remember, though he was in the form of God, he chose not to cling to equality with God. But he poured himself out into a vessel brand new, a servant in form and a man indeed. So Jesus, this teaches us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was unrecognizable as God, but he had equality with God. He did not, he was incredibly special, totally unique, but did not require special treatment. The very likeness of humanity, he humbled himself, obedient to death, a merciless death on the cross. Jesus stooped out of heaven into humanity and stooped to the lowest rung of the ladder to die the death that we saw as the most shameful the most, uh, like it was reserved for the worst of the worst. So he, he stooped to the very bottom rung of the ladder. You know, Jesus knows hardship. And when we follow his example, it enables us to handle hardship. And it goes on to say, God raised him up to the highest place. So he went to the bottom rung to, for God to raise him up to the highest place. To give him the name above all, so that when his name is called, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and below, and every tongue will confess, Jesus, the anointed one, is Lord, to the glory of God our Father. You know, I think this is another important key to happiness, to true joy. Is the truth is that the good news of what Jesus accomplished, the good news of who he is, grasping that power of the gospel, is what leads to great joy, to great happiness, to eternal happiness. 
This stands not as good advice or helpful teaching, but Jesus came to reveal the way, the way he made us, the way he created us. He knows the way to human flourishing, and he shares it with us, and it's found in him. So we, Paul goes on in verse 12, So now, my, my beloved, obey as you have always, sorry, my beloved, obey as you have always done, not only when I'm with you, but even more so when, you, when I can't be. Continue to work out your salvation with great fear and trembling because God is energizing you so that you will desire and do what pleases him. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Sorry, complaining or bickering. I was quoting a different, but grumbling is bad too. Yeah. Do all things without complaining or bickering with each other so that you will be found innocent and blameless. You are God's children, called to live without a single stain on your reputation. Whoa, among this perverted and crooked generation. Shine like stars in the land. And those, that little chunk there, I think, just shows us another key. When we live as children of God, living rightly, living according to his purpose, pleasing God, that actually represents God's goodness and his will to our world. When we work that salvation into our lives. Um, oh, sorry, it says, when Paul encourages them, to be the same person when I'm with you or be apart from me. That's living with integrity. It's being the same in front of people or behind closed doors. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that term, work out your salvation, it's not about working to earn your salvation. But it's like, I make sourdough, and it's like working the, um, the yeast or the, the fermented dough into the rest of the dough so that the whole dough is affected. It's like work out that salvation message into every area of your life so that the whole, your whole self is impacted by the message of Christ. Not just the stuff in front of people, but the stuff behind closed doors. We work out salvation. We embrace the life of Christ. You know, this is not something we earn, but it is something we work for. It does take effort to apply salvation principles to every area of our life. But it comes from that deep appreciation of God's grace, what he has done. Now, working that implication, work out the implications of the gospel into our lives. And that says, work out your salvation with great fear and trembling. That fear and trembling is respect and awe of God, of what he has done. It's going to God as the source of our salvation, knowing that it is not something we can earn with our own effort, but acknowledging it is God's power and his authority that has accomplished the gospel message and the power to change our life. It's really displaying this. One verse is displaying this amazing partnership because the thing... Uh, between the things that only God can do and the things that only we can do. You know, he can't just, well, he chooses not to just override our will, but to shape our will by our willingness, by our obedience, by our partnership with him. Because God is energizing you so that you will desire and do. So we have that heart motivation and the actions that come with it. You know, our will 
automa- automatically opposes God's will. That is our, our flesh nature. It pulls away from God's goodness. But when we are transformed, it enables our will to yield to his, to do what pleases him, and to want to. It changes our want to and our actions so that we can do all things without complaining or bickering with each other. That is such a challenge. I don't know about you. I find that challenging. But that word um, is in verse 14 there, that complaining or bickering, is actually a picture back to the people of Israel and how the, Israel's, the Israelites grumbled and complained against God because they didn't trust in God's goodness. They didn't trust in his provision. They saw the lack. And so that complaining, it shows a discontentment with God. And this is convicting for me too. We let the word of God pierce our hearts and change us and convict us so that we can become like him. So so that we can be found innocent and blameless Children of God called to live without a single stain on your reputations. That is a tall order. But he enables us to become that. And we are not the first church to live with a perverted and crooked uh, generation all around us. We have always been called to be countercultural, to be different than the world around us to shine like stars around, uh, among the land because it points to the glory of God that we can be different because there is nothing in, in us that enables us to be good. It is only by his goodness, by his grace shaping us. So we cling, verse 16, we cling to the word of life so that on the day of judgment when the anointed one returns, I may have reason to rejoice because it will be plain that I didn't turn from his mission, nor did I work in vain. Even if my lifeblood, this is Paul, and I just love the heart of a pastor, the heart of a shepherd that he shows. Even if my lifeblood is to be poured out like wine as a sacrifice for your faith, I have great reason to celebrate with you all. I don't care what happens to me. I just want these church. I just want you to flourish. I just want my church to flourish. I want the people that I poured my life into to, um, to not turn from what we taught. And for the same reason, he goes on, that you can be glad and celebrate with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy your way. He will visit you soon so that he may report to me how you are doing. To hear all that is going on with you will truly encourage my heart. You know, Paul wraps up this portion of the letter. This chapter wraps up with a celebration of friendship and the type of friendship that is formed by enduring hard stuff together, by serving each other, the kind of friendship that brings real happiness to our lives. And this is important, I think, for us, especially when the term friends has almost been hijacked by Facebook to mean people that I met at some point in my life. You know, the greatest friends I have are ones that are on the same mission, the ones that truly are committed to the gospel with me, when we can serve each other and love each other through hard stuff. You know, my, my name is Joy, as I introduced before, um, and I've, I feel, I've, I've felt at times like um, there was a pressure that came with having a name like this, to always be happy. But 
like you, like all humans, I have come to realize that there are a spectrum of emotions and it's okay for me to experience sadness at some times. And it's okay to feel overwhelmed sometimes, but to continue to ground myself in the gospel and to continue to ground myself in God's goodness that overrides temporary circumstances. And sometimes it's a battle and we need friendships to encourage us along the way friends to, to say, don't get stuck here. You can push through this. Don't give up. And Paul had these kind of friendships. Oh, goodness. I love people. <laughs> oh. So let's be committed to each other like Timothy and like Epaphroditus. So Paul tells us their example there is no one like Timothy. What sets him apart from others is his deep concern for you and your spiritual journey. This is rare, my friends, for most people only care about themselves and not what is dear to the heart of Jesus the anointed. What an incredible example. You know Timothy is genuine in the Lord's ways. He has been a faithful partner to me as we express the good news as much as my own flesh and blood would have been. I expect to send him soon, and I, will, and I will as soon as I see how things turn out here. I trust in the Lord that it won't be very long before I can come and be with you in person. But for now, I think it's best to send Epaphroditus home to you. He has become my dear brother in the Lord. We have worked well together and fought great battles together. And he was an encouraging minister to me in my time of need. He couldn't wait to see you all. He was concerned for you when he found out you knew how sick he really was. These are real guys. In fact, he nearly died, but once again, God was exceedingly kind and covered him with his mercy. And I too, by his mercy, have been spared sorrow upon sorrow. I am so excited to be sending him back to you. I can picture the joy on your faces when he arrives. I can feel my worries falling away. What a great friendship. Welcome him joyfully in the Lord. Esteem all spiritual leaders like Epaphroditus because he placed his life in grave danger for the work of the anointed. He risked his life to serve me when you couldn't. Man, you, you can see how the quality of their friendship really connected to the quality of his life, how it was such a blessing to have friends like Timothy and Epaphroditus when he was suffering. You know, it's so easy to be disappointed in humans. In, in human friendships, and in, uh, it's easy to critique each other. And it's a little bit more difficult to assess our own friendship. And I think that rather than thinking of somebody who's maybe disappointed you, who wasn't a faithful friend, let's ask, do people find my friendship Christ-like? Do people find my friendship faithful and loyal? Am I a true friend? You know, we do need friendships. We need partnerships and teammates. We, we need a church family and friendship to bring happiness to our lives. And we need the power of the gospel to connect us together. You know, following Jesus is what makes all the difference in our life, and it brings true joy to our life. And as I said earlier, the decision to follow Christ is a decision we each individually must make. But the road to faith is rarely traveled alone. We need each other. 
So if you've never made that choice for yourself, maybe you're attending with a friend or a family member, maybe you're just always alongside them because you're here to support them. I love this quote by John Mark Comer. It says, here's the best news of all. We have everything we need to live a happy and free and beautiful life. Access to life with the Father through Christ by the Holy Spirit. He was the form of God, but didn't cling to equality with God. He poured himself out into a vessel, became human, became servant, became a man. In the likeness of humanity, he humbled himself. My screen time. (laughs) My screen time limit came on. I need to. That was a bad time for my screen time. I do this so that my thing doesn't become, you know, an addiction. It like, stops me. <laughs> but that was poor timing. Okay. Jesus. Oh. He humbled himself. <laughs> to, and, G, and God. God raised him up to the highest place, gave him the name above all, so that when his name is called, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and below, and every tongue will confess. You know, there will come a time that it will be so evident to every person who ever walked the planet that Jesus is Lord. And we will bow our knees and we will declare Jesus is Lord. But how much more of an opportunity do we have to do it today? to do it now, to not wait for that day, someday when you'll be compelled, but to be able to make that choice, to choose to follow him, to follow his example, to humble ourselves, to say, I can't do it on my own. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray together. We pray this prayer every week because it is such an important acknowledgement to accept his love, to experience accept his plan and his purpose and to declare that he is Lord. It changes everything. And he is the way to human flourishing. It sometimes comes with hardship and suffering. It's not a promise of all things will always be okay, but it is a confident assurance that we have that because Jesus is Lord, he is shaping us into people who can withstand the hard stuff and have our joy and our happiness firmly found in him. So I want to invite you to pray with me. This is a prayer of saying, yes, Jesus is Lord and he is my Lord. So would you pray with me? Say, Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to rescue and redeem. Thank you that you created me, that you love me and have a purpose for me. I humble myself. I want to stop doing my own thing. And I declare that Jesus is Lord. Would that truth change me? I choose to follow you. Would you make me brand new? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc nextstep or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. 
It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.